The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the participants and not necessarily of ausleisure.com.au. This podcast covers the subject of alcohol consumption and as such is aimed at adults, although it does not contain any subject matter that would be offensive to children. Ausleisure.com.au and all participants remind our listeners that alcohol should always be consumed responsibly. Hi, this is Richard Maguire from ausleisure.com.au and you're listening to the Ausleisure Grapevine podcast with Greg Nicholson from Doc's Liquor. Greg's a highly experienced and much respected retailer and former vintner from Victoria and we'll be discussing the current trends in wine and beer, new products and techniques along with some tips for buying, choosing and storing wines and beers. So, pour yourself a large one, sit back and relax as we take you on a wine and beer journey. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Ausleisure Grapevine for April 2007. Earlier today, I spoke with Greg Nicholson from Docks Fine Wines and Liquor, where we talked about some of their products, club events and stock selection criteria. We also touched on Australian wine history, where Greg explained how wine came into Australia and how the many wine regions came into existence. We then turned our attention to some of the best buyers for red wine and white wine, giving you an insight to some of the outstanding value-for-money wines in differing styles from small producers around the country. And finally, we looked at some of the fabulous craft beers that are on the market today. So sit back and relax as Greg Nicholson takes us on a wine and beer journey. Yeah, very good day to you, Greg. Uh, can I start off by asking you a little bit about Doc's Liquor and uh, some of its history there? Yeah, hi, Richard. Uh, hi. Welcome to the Doc's Ball. Um, we started Doc's about five and a half years ago. Uh, we wanted to have a criteria of uh, small shops that were offering something different than the normal chain supermarkets that we find around today and uh, we started docks with that criteria in mind of searching out smaller wineries that are harder to get that yeah. don't supply some of the uh, these bigger uh, companies and also finding some specialty products as well that are harder to get hold of and uh, um, we always say we, we like to product evaluate everything before we put it in the <laughs> shop and uh, um, find the, the best products for the customer so we can advise and talk about them. And uh, So do you hop in the car and, 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 and drive around all the local wineries? And, and oh, occasionally we'll visit wineries, but we actually get quite a bit of product either sent to us or uh, okay. representatives from wine companies will come in and leave us sample products, and yeah. uh, we'll go from there and test them. Fantastic. And, and I see up under, if I can just explain to the listeners, I'm actually in the shop uh, at Doc's Liquor in Borwin with Greg, and up on the wall he's got uh, some club events happening. If you could uh, possibly explain to our listeners exactly what that's all about, please, Greg. Yeah, uh, we have a very active wine club and beer club uh, within Doc's, I uh, started the wine club about five and a half years ago. I'd actually had previous experience in the Arrow Valley with running wine clubs and uh, and also I'd had work for a large chain group and they had a very active wine club and I really liked the criteria of running wine clubs and uh, having events for customers because yeah. Yeah. it's great for people to be able to try wines before the, they buy them and that's one of the things that we wanted to do within Docks and so we regularly run wine events within the shop about four times a year. We clear the shops out both here and any other shop in Ringwood North and we'll have seven or eight companies come in 
and we have 40 wines on tasting and cheese from Cheese Freaks up in Hillsville and <laughs> you can come in and try wine and cheese all night. And, oh, fantastic. Uh, and is, is that an expensive, expensive thing to do? No, no, we only we charge a couple of dollars a head just to cover the door costs and uh, it's just a fun thing and, and, again, great way for people to try the wines before they buy them. Yeah. And there's not a lot of places that do that anymore. There's a lot of uh, smaller... Uh, shops will actually conduct tastings on weekends and things like that, mm. but not many do these bigger scale sure. tastings. And uh, do you get guest speakers come down? And, and, and yeah, well, quite often we'll we'll get a, a winemaker in here for the night, um, or someone from the company that's quite knowledgeable, and so they can talk to the customers about the wines. And uh, quite often, what we do as well is something like a meet the winemaker night, where we'll actually go off premise and charge whatever the food cost is like twenty twenty five dollars a head and have a tapas antipasto sort of menu yeah. the customer pays for the food only we'll bring the winemaker we'll bring the wines and Fantastic. a great intimate night and a good way to meet a winemaker and just be hands-on and, and talk about their products and great customer service as well yeah oh, it's all about that's what it's it's all yeah. about at the end of the day is just having customer service and uh putting something back in to the the wine community and uh, rather than just being a sales outlet and oh, uh, having hands-on service. And, uh, Greg, you mentioned the beer club. Yeah, well, the beer club's only relatively new. I've just started this year with uh, with our Baldwin North store. With the, uh, I found the criteria here has been... It's been such a good beer store that I wanted to do something a little bit different. So what I've been doing is putting about five new beers in the store every week and we started a, a world of beer club and we've been doing much the same once a month we've been having a meeting where we're getting together and we're doing things like belgian masterclass night uh, this month i've got a, a beer ratings night coming up where i'm going to bring all the beers out in paper bags and teach everyone how to rate beers and just find what they like for their own palate. And uh, so each month I'll do something similar. I'll do a, a style night or a country night or we might even do a beer and pizza night or something. So, And, Greg, is this pre- predominantly uh, Australian beers or are they international beers as well? Oh, a bit of both. We, the, the very first night we did was an Australian selection of about 20 different beers and then as i said last month we did a belgian sit-down masterclass and we went through all the different styles from pilsner through to uh, raspberry lampic at the finish and so that was a great night um uh, yeah i'll just swap it around each month and do something a little bit different fantastic and how many beers um different styles of beers would you have in the stores uh i've got quite a few now uh it started off fairly basic but because we've been expanding so much um, Australian craft beers at the moment I, I'm putting in about five plus a week as I said so yeah. uh, brewery wise I've probably got over 50 or 60 different breweries in here now from Australia uh, international breweries again I'm doing the same thing putting in five a week uh, I've got a very big range of Belgian beers at the moment and uh, each week I'll just concentrate on something different That's and fantastic. either build up German beers or Belgian or uh, Australians and just find all these different new hard-to-get products and I'll do a lot of research on the internet and uh, find all these beers I've never even heard of myself and then try and track them down and get them in the store. Great. Thanks for that, Greg. And, Greg, can you uh, possibly give us a brief 
uh, guide as to how wine came into Australia in the first place? Yeah, sure, Richard. The, um, not many people are aware, but it's, uh, Australia's first vines actually came over in 1788 on the uh, first fleet, and they were planted in Governor Phillips' garden at Farm Cove on the site of what's now the Intercontinental Hotel in Macquarie Street in Sydney. Um, after a few false starts and some poor locations, the vines were planted further inland and were established in Parramatta in 1791 and then Castle Hill, Penrith and Camden in, in 1817. Uh, Gregory, sorry, Gregory Blacksland established a vineyard in 1816 on the Parramatta River and in 1822 he shipped 30 gallons of red wine to London where it won a silver medal. So we were actually on the world stage in a very early um, stage of the Australia's development. Um, John MacArthur, the, the famous sheep farmer, started the first commercial vineyard, first planting in Camden and then near Penrith in 1820 as well. And in 1824, we saw James Busby, who's considered one of the fathers of Australian wine industry, and he established a settlement in the Hunter Valley and planted vineyards in 1832. And this was really the true beginning of the wine industry in Australia. Uh, Busby bought out the best clones that he could obtain from Europe and uh, wrote the very first book on winemaking in Australia called A Treatise on the Culture of the Vine and the Art of Making Wine. Sensational. And, uh, yeah, the rest from there, there was a, a, a very long history of uh, wine development in Australia. And, and there's uh, so many different regions as well, isn't there? Yeah, well, all, all the regions uh, were established at different times. Uh, we had Victoria and South Australia were established in 1838, and Western Australia came into being in 1840, and uh, some other regions have sprung up since then, uh, smaller regions which are fast developing if you look at uh, some of the regions nowadays um, which we might talk about down the, the track we'll talk about some of the actual regions in depth and yeah, pick, uh, pick one and, and, and just uh, yeah, drill down on that yeah, yeah we'll sure. talk about the development of the region and the history like such as South Australia which was uh, first founded by the Salasian or German settlers and so there's a bit of history oh, there with all the names of the Barossa Valley and Harndorf and the history from there. So, yeah. Oh, great. Well, we'll uh, look forward to, to looking at that in depth down the track, as you say. Yep. Greg, I see you've got a couple of bottles of white wine on the table for us to have a chat about. Can you uh, inform the listeners of what they are? Yeah, sure, Please. Richard. I've, I've chosen a couple of wines that I think are really interesting uh, to kick off with. Uh, I'm finding a lot of people are changing their white wine styles nowadays. We used to have what's called the ABC movement, which was anything but Chardonnay, and a lot of people were drinking uh, Sauvignon Blanc, in particular New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, which seems to be the most popular. And I'm just finding nowadays some people are starting to move away from Sauvignon Blanc mm. and either go on to Rieslings or back to Chardonnays, or they're starting to try some of the many new varietals that are coming out, uh, such as Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio, uh, depending on which side of the fence you're sitting on. Uh, Pinot Gris is the French side and Pinot Grigio is the Italian side of the fence. Uh, they're exactly the same grape styles, but the Grigios are usually picked a little bit earlier, so they're made a little bit racier in style. Um, so what I've actually done is I've chosen 
two wines which are based on Pinot Gris, but they're a variation again on the product, and they've become quite popular in the last uh, 12 months. Uh, the first one I've brought along is Trevor Jones, and it's a Gris Blanc, and it's the only one that's made in Australia. Uh, Trevor Jones wines are based in the Barossa, and he's a very talented winemaker. He's he makes quite a few different styles, but I became fascinated with this because of uh, the uniqueness. It's 80, 86% Pinot Gris and 14% Sauvignon Blanc. And as I said, it's the only one that's really done in Australia. It's a very uh, crisp, fruity, dry sort of style, and it's the ideal summer wine. And okay. uh, uh, most of our customers have really taken to it when they've tried it. It's ideal with something like a seafood, um, and it's just one of those great hot day drinking wines, and um, yeah, I've fallen in love with it, as I've said, and uh, highly recommend it. And and how much would that cost? Uh, $14 a bottle, um, and that's what makes it so approachable and such a great price and uh, easy drinking. It's very clear looking. Yeah, it's very light, which is the, the, the Pinot Grigios tend to be a bit lighter in style. Yep. They don't have the dark colourings of, say, something like a Chardonnay or a yeah. Riesling. Um, but, yeah, just uh, super light, super fruity, uh, a little bit spicy on the palate as well, and just ideal with those mm. nice light summer lunches. I think we'll have to open that after this yeah, podcast. <laughs> give it a test. <laughs> um, the other one that I brought along is Heartland. And I've bought a few of the Heartland wines along, and we'll have a look at those in the the red section as well. Uh, Heartlands are made by a consortium of uh, people. There's uh, quite a few that are involved and have been long time involved in the wine industry in Australia, and they're absolute icons in South Australia. Um, The winemaker himself is Ben Glatzer, who is what I consider the the hot gun winemaker in Australia today. Uh, he's making some fantastic drops and uh, this one's a 2006 Viognier Pinot Gris uh, Viognier is uh, a relatively new grape in Australia it's very lively and fruity apricotty sort of citrus flavours that come through on the wine and then it's got all the melon and pear skin flavours of the Pinot Gris as well which also gives it added dryness it's just a really big mouthful of a wine and fruit bomb wow. um, but has a, a very crisp and zesty finish to it as well and uh, again ideal summer drinking and mm. we'll go with a w- wide variety of foods yeah. uh, but just great on those warmer days if you want something easy to knock over and, and you want to jump off the Sab Blanc bandwagon <laughs> as well and price wise? Um, 1999 right. uh, so a little bit dearer than the, the boots but again Unique, about the only one I've ever seen in Australia, so uh, very impressive. And uh, as I said, this guy's one of my favourite winemakers and he makes such a great style. Great stuff. Now, if we could move on to the red section now, please, Greg. Yep. Uh, you've, sure. got a, you've got a couple here. Yep, I'll start actually yeah. with um, Heartland again. This is uh, uh, again Ben Glatzer. And this is his base Shiraz, and uh, this is about seventeen ninety nine a bottle. Yeah, two thousand and five, which has been a fantastic vintages, and I'm going to talk about vintages a bit further down the track as well. Right, uh, but particularly important when you're, you're looking at red wines. 
It's a great little wine for the money and one that over-delivers on quality. Uh, it's got those chocolate, tobacco, pepper and menthol sort of characters to it. A bit of plums on the palate as well. It's very complex and dense and rich for a $17 wine. And, wow. Uh, super smooth on the finish, very nice subtle tannins. Uh, finished with a bit of French American, uh, French oak, sorry, and um, something that will sell it for about three to five years without any problem, yep. and will actually really improve with a, a couple of years under its belt. Uh, but great little drink now, wine, and uh, uh, again, one of my my favourites. And I, uh, the, these ones that we've just been looking at, um, they're, they're, they're screw tops. Yeah, yeah screw tops. I was, I was also, we'll, we'll talk about this a yeah. bit further down the track when we talk about cellaring, maybe in the next program. Uh, screw tops are super popular nowadays. They've, they've actually been around since the 70s and uh, come back into favour. It was actually the New Zealand wine industry that mm. started Stelvin or screw caps and it took a little bit of uh, a while for the punters to actually become accustomed to screw top wines but now they're accepting them without any problem and uh, the advantages advantages are numerous and as I said I'll talk about that a little bit further into the and the reason I asked you about that because the the bottle that you're holding in your hand now is is a cork yeah this is uh, back in made in the traditional style Um, still with a cork in it but I think this will go to screw top at some stage Um, and this is Heartland Director Cut which is one step above the Shiraz that we just talked about. Again, 2005 vintage, and it's just a stunning wine. It's olives, uh, chocolate, black cherries, yeah. and has quite a, a depth of flavour to it. And again, it's one of those wines that really over-delivers on quality for price. So it's twenty nine ninety nine a bottle, but... Yeah, it drinks more like about forty, fifty dollars, and uh, I've had every vintage of this since two thousand and two, and it's in my cellar. I'm very impressed. Yeah, with it. You're, so, you're one of yeah. and 05 <laughs> has been a fantastic vintage again. Um, so, yeah, again, highly recommended if you want something great drinking. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Greg. And uh, the the last one. Yep, last today. one, and. This has also been Glatzer, but this is actually Glatzer wines. But I thought I'd show you this one because this is what I call one of the iconic wines of Australia of the future. Yeah. Um, I might go out on a limb and say, <laughs> uh, personally, I think this is better than Penfolds Grange and Henschke Hiller Grace. Right. And at a third of the price. Yeah. Um, the wine I've got is uh, Armand Ra by Glatzer and you're looking at about $120 a bottle uh, it's again a dense, rich, opulent wow. Barossa Valley wine it's an unfiltered Shiraz and it's just stunning uh, again, I can't talk enough about this wine I, I got was lucky enough to sample a 2003 bottle that I bought and I got the tasting notes from Vicky Arnold, who's the managing director of Glatzer Wines. And 03 was a difficult vintage, so it was a drought yeah. year. And on the tasting notes, it actually said difficult vintage, very split, didn't know if we were going to make the wine. And I thought, oh, I've got a bit of a lemon here and uh, <laughs> opened it up a, a year or so ago. 
and put it up in my three greatest drinking experiences ever and uh, uh, noticed a couple of weeks later I was doing a bit of a search on the internet and Robert Parker Jr., who's the big wine guru in the States, had actually given it a 100 out of a 100, which is very rare. And uh, so I thought, well, the, the subsequent vintages after that must be pretty good because 04 was a better vintage again and 05 has been absolutely stunning. Uh, I contacted Vicky when we bought some of the 05 in and Vicky said to me, I'll just let you in on a little tip. Ben reckons this is the best wine he's ever made. Mm. So I, I actually haven't opened one yet. I am uh, uh, have bought some for myself and I'm putting it down for a little while just to give it a bit of time. It's one of those big wines that needs a little bit of time in the cellar before you start pulling the cork out of it. So I'm going to give it about two years and yeah. uh, and then I'll start doing a bit of product evaluation then on it and see what happens. That sounds divine. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> stunning. Big, rich something to have with a, a big meal and mm. uh, uh, really enjoy. Occasion. But uh, the best things that I find about it is the price and being a third of the price of the others. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one of those great value for money wines for the future if you're an investor and you're looking at buying something to put away for the future, this will be one of the sought-after wines in the next 10 years. That's, uh, that's, that's a great wrap there. Great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as I said, I love it. Glates is one of my favourite winemakers, and uh, um, I'm certainly looking forward to trying this one. Thank you. That's brilliant. Now we'll move on. Uh, we've got a couple, of, um, a couple of beers here. Yeah, I thought we'd have a look at a... A uh, couple of things from things from a word of beer club, and I thought I'll do a couple of Aussies first off. Um, first product we've bought in is Byron Bay Premium Ale, and I've been quite impressed with this beer. It's uh, naturally brewed, no chemicals or preservatives or sugar, which is the way beer should be. Um, it's a premium ale. I was actually talking to Glenn from Byron Bay the other day, and it's a, technically it can be called a lager. Um, the difference being that lagers are bottom fermented and ales are top fermented and um, we were sort of throwing around the logistics of whether it was either but um, it's been classed as an ale so we, we're calling it the premium ale um, great clean flavours slight uh, mocha coffee notes in the middle of the palate uh, I think you've tested this beer, Richard. I have indeed. It's very nice, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, quite impressive and, and one of the newer, smaller craft breweries around that we're starting to see. So um, priced about three fifty a stubby and about $16, $17 a six-pack. So, right, lovely. Yeah, great little buy. And the last one? And the last one I bought in is Gage Roads. And this is a pure malt lager. So it's got a very rich malt flavour through the middle of the palate which if you're into lagers um, this is uh, quite a crackingly good beer for an Australian lager it's made by Gage Roads which is based in Western Australia and this was started by the guys who actually started up uh, Sail and Anchor Brewery originally in Western Australia and then they've uh, started the Gage Roads Brewery up and producing three styles at the moment, which is the pure malt lager, uh, India pale ale, and a pilg, which is a midweight. 
but this is the standout of the bunch. I really love this. And uh, again, about three eighty a stubby and about eighteen dollars a six pack. So not that more expensive than the Byron Bay. No, no, not that much more. And um, a great little buy and uh, great flavours out of it, which we're we're really starting to see these Australian craft breweries at the moment that are starting to produce. Uh, beers that are, will stand up against some of the Europeans and uh, there's some great quality out there. There certainly is. Well, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, I'd like to thank you, Greg, for those wise words and tips. Thank you, Richard. And um, we'll see you next time. Yep, thank you. Thank you, Greg. Well, that's it for this episode, unfortunately. Uh, our thanks go to Greg and everyone at Doc's Liquor. Oz Leisure Grapevine is published every month, so if you liked this podcast, be sure to subscribe to any of the various feeds through iTunes and others. If you have any comments on this show, questions or suggestions for a future show, please send us an email to grapevine at ozleisure.com.au. Full details and links to the feeds, along with the topics covered in this episode, past and future episodes, can be found at www.ozleisure.com.au forward slash grapevine. Remember, Doc's Liquor have stores in Baldwin North and Ringwood, which is in Victoria, and you can call them on 03 987 02699 or you can visit them online at www.docslicker.com. Tell them Greg sent you. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Richard Maguire for oddsleisure.com.au, your guide to Australian holiday and leisure activities. Until next time, see you later.